We are in our series in Matthew's Gospel, and we are encouraging as a church family to read a chapter a week, and then we, we unpack some of it when we come together. So I'd love you to get your Bibles out, turn them on, look at the screen, whatever way you want to follow, and we're going to read from Matthew chapter 15. <clears throat> Reading from verse 1. This is God's word. Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. And Jesus replied, And why do you? Break the command of God for the sake of your tradition. For God said, honor your father and mother. And anyone who curses their father and mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is devoted to God, they are not to honor their father or mother with it. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. And we stop there for a moment. Let's pray for a second. Um, Father, we don't dare come at this book, at your words, casually, because your word is alive and it is dangerous. And for, for 2,000 years, for 3,000 years, your words have been transforming lives and cities and nations. And we ask now, Lord, speak to us through your word and transform our lives. Release hope release love, release forgiveness, and release healing this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, we're going to start a little bit differently this morning. should have actually, God, please keep us safe during the next five minutes. And the church said, amen. amen. And those in the front row know exactly why we're praying this. The rest, if you don't, um, as a boy, one of my heroes was Robin Hood. Any Robin Hood fans? Yeah a, few Robin Hood, yeah, a few very enthusiastic nods. And one of the things I've discovered is that people in Orangefield are ridiculously talented, and we have archers in our congregation. And I thought, what better way to start our service off when, with an archery demonstration? What do you think? You up for this? Here we go, right? Come on over here. Hopefully the cameras are going to follow me across and pan across. Where, where's my archer? There he is. Here. Oh, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Now, th- this is going to be a real archery lesson. That's what it is. We prayed for safety in the hope that nobody actually dies during this. Oh. Craig? Is this on? It is. I had an invitation to shoot the minister. I thought, can't turn, turn my nose up. I was going to bring an apple with me, and then I thought, that's a terrible idea, isn't it? <laughs> really bad. So I'm going to open this up. I hit the poise. Uh, point out, I am not a trained coach in this, so I'm only going to be imparting the wisdom that's been imparted to me, but hopefully we'll, we'll get this man shooting straight. Okay. Right. Okay. Archery 101. Go for it. What do I need to do? 
Well, first of all, what I want you to do is stand with your arms completely straight out either side of you. Oh, like this? Okay. Okay. And then bring your right arm in to touch your nose. Okay. That is the position that you would be perfectly aligned for the bow. Okay. You're trying to get your bones in a line across your back. Okay. So before we're putting a bow in your hand, that's what it's going to feel like. Okay. And the other big thing to note is you don't draw a bow with your arm. Okay. You draw with a pen. That's it. No, you draw it with your back. Okay. So this muscle here, particularly, in fact, if almost like you're trying to squeeze an apple between your two shoulder blades. Okay. Okay. So I'm going to shoot an arrow and show you the shape of it, and then I'm going to put the bow in your hand. You're going to do the same thing. Okay. 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 I'm going to stand back. You guys are fine there, I'm sure. Touching. Whoa! <laughs> Hands up who thinks I can do that. <laughs> wow, that's faith right there. That is faith right there. I've even left the space in the bow, okay? Okay. So <clears throat> I want you to grip the bow in your left hand. Okay. Throttle it. Okay. But hold it. Looking everything. Yes. Fingers have for you as well. Fab. Because you might as well look the part if you're going to look silly. Yeah, Thank you. Okay. That's probably there. safe. Okay. okay. So, remember what I said. Keep your elbow out, and I want you to use your back to draw the string back to your chin. Okay. Does that feel comfortable? No. <laughs> well, that's partly because your elbow is down here. Okay. Okay. So when you bring up, see the alignment of bring your shoulder down. Doesn't. Your elbow okay. Up. Okay. That's all it does. That in a nice line so that that can move in an arc around you. Okay, okay, okay. okay so put the Try it again. That? Yeah. That's not too bad. <laughs> <laughs> wow, okay. It's better than it was. Okay, let's so try it with an arrow. This is dangerous. Okay. All right, so one above, two below. Remember about the position of your elbow. Draw it back until the string is touching your chin. Back further, and then release. That's all right. That's all right. Okay. I, I'm not going to fire another one. Got the microphone. I'm not going to fire another one. But if I was doing that again, what should I do differently? <laughs> well, to be fair to him, we didn't have a chance to set the sights up and stuff. But um, your basic frame, you're a wee bit twisted towards the target. Um, it, getting alignment um, of all of the muscle, all of the bones, so that your muscles can work in a complete arc is okay. the real secret. Okay. And the other thing is that um, to shoot uh, repeatedly, it's about doing the same thing again over and again and, and again. So it's again. learning muscle memory as well. Okay. Okay. So, so largely, it's to do with my setup wasn't quite right. My posture wasn't quite right. And because my shoulder was here, my elbow was there, my, my, because my posture wasn't right, the trajectory of the arrow wasn't... The, the arrow didn't go where it was meant to go. The arrow went high. And also, if you continue to do that repeatedly, you would fatigue really quickly because you're using the wrong muscle okay. set. Okay, okay. That's, okay. That's helpful. Thank you. Give Craig a round of applause. <laughs> I'm so happy nobody got hurt by an arrow.
<laughs> that would have been terrible, wouldn't it? Why do we do that? Why do we do that? Because the thing I want you to remember, and I think this is, in 10 years' time, you'll remember this because of what you just saw. Here's the thing I want you to remember. Your posture determines your trajectory. For shooting the arrow, the posture determines the trajectory of the arrow. And we come to church, when we come to Jesus, when we come to this text, particularly the posture of your heart determines the trajectory of your life. You can fall asleep now. That is the teaching point for this morning. That is what everything is built around. If you remember that, you have won. The posture of your heart determines the trajectory of your life. We are, and we want to step into this more and more. We are becoming a church that brings life and forgiveness to the lost, a church that brings hope to families, a church that seeks to release people from, from poverty and from paramilitarism, from addiction. We think these are really important. We want to be a church that doesn't just talk about life in here, but brings life and brings Jesus out there. And if we want to become more and more like Jesus, because these are the things that Jesus did, then we have to become more and more aware of the posture of our hearts in response to Jesus. Why? Because the posture of your heart determines what? The trajectory of your life. And my question this morning, are you becoming more like Jesus? I want to ask that, because there's loads of ways we could ask that question this morning. I want to ask it in two particular ways. The first one is, what is the posture of your heart in response to God's presence? What is the posture of your heart in response to God's presence? We're reading from chapter 15, but it starts with the word then, which means we have to go back into chapter 14 to get the context of what Jesus is doing and what Jesus is saying. So when you go back into chapter 14, what you see is that Jesus is in a place called Gennesaret. It's a, it's a region, a town just off the Sea of Galilee. And he has landed there. He started preaching and teaching. And people have heard what Jesus is doing. And they have called their friends. They have invited their friends to come and see Jesus. That's really important. When you see Jesus moving somewhere, a posture of invitation. And they invite their friends to come and see. And what we see in those couple of verses at the end of chapter 14 is Jesus is teaching. He's proclaiming the kingdom of God. He's healing the sick. He's setting people free. He's releasing hope. Everywhere Jesus goes, the kingdom of God breaks in. Everywhere Jesus goes, the Spirit of God moves. Lives are being changed. Hearts are being restored. And what I want you to see as we look at this part of the text, I want you to look at the heart response of people to the presence of Jesus in this moment. I want you to look at the heart response of the people who, who are there to the presence of Jesus in this moment. There are three different types of people, three different heart responses to the presence of Jesus. The first one, let me get some water. The first one is apathetic, apathetic. We are told about the people who turned up, but there are a lot of people in the region who didn't turn up. 
The people who heard Jesus invited their friends. Some of their friends came, but we have to assume not all of them came. Because some people then, like today, are apathetic to the things of Jesus. They think that Jesus has nothing to offer them, has nothing to offer their lives. That he, back then, was a rabbi, a teacher, just peddling his story. People today, their response to Jesus, if they're apathetic, they think, that's great for those church people, but Jesus has nothing to offer me, nothing to help me, nothing to do with me. And we all have people in our lives who are apathetic to the things of Jesus, yes? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, Here's the reality, though. Everybody, I don't care who you are, whether you come to church or not, whether you've been following Jesus a lifetime or he's only a swear word to you, and that's that's a pretty wide scale. Um, I don't care who you are. Every person on this planet, their whole existence is a search for significance, is a search for significance. Sometimes we see it in our young people uh, as they search for significance in exams. If you don't get those marks, your life will never amount to anything. Do we portray that story over their lives? Sometimes we see it in our young people and our older people as well and as they search for the next sexual experience, next sexual encounter. That, that, that's where they find their significance. That's where they find their, their happiness. That's what they, they're, they're going after. In other parts of Belfast, it's, it's their standing in the community. The further they can rise up through paramilitary ranks, that gives them significance and identity. In other parts of Belfast, it's the rise up through the company you work for. Promotion and bigger salary and bigger car gives you that sense of significance. But what we see again and again and again is that those things may bring happiness for a moment, but lead to emptiness in the long term. Blaise Pascal, who was a a mathematician and a theologian a few hundred years ago, said that everybody has a God-shaped hole inside them. Everybody has a space in their hearts that craves um, satisfaction and significance, and we try to put other things in there, but really the way we're built, because we're made by God, the only thing that brings life and significance to us is who? Jesus. Absolutely. So every person on this planet, whether they know it or not, is desperate for Jesus is desperate for Jesus. We happen to be the people who have the answer. But then and today, there were people who were apathetic to the presence of God. They didn't turn up. There are other people who have an appetite for the presence of God, who when in that moment in Scripture, in Matthew 14, they saw Jesus preaching, they saw Him healing, they saw Him accepting and welcoming and forgiving, they leaned in. They stepped closer. They, they invited their friends to come along and be part of what, what God was doing in that moment in their midst. They had a hunger for more. They had a hunger for more. One of our, our priorities as a church, these are our four values, our four priorities, the, the direction of travel for us over the next number of years as a church. And number one is we are a church that is hungry for His Spirit. We are hungry for the presence of of God. And the people we see in the text, when they recognize God moving in their midst, they press in, they step towards. 
The third thing we see in this text in people's response to the presence of God is antagonistic. We're told at the very start of chapter 15 that when this was going on, the Pharisees, who were the religious leaders, heard about what Jesus was doing, and they came along, and they came with a critical spirit. They came with an antagonistic spirit. They came to criticize and be cynical and to attack. Now, let me say something really clearly here. When God moves in our midst, When the Holy Spirit, when the presence of God moves in our midst, it is okay to ask questions. It is okay to have doubts. It is okay to have some fears. Maybe it feels new to you. Maybe you see things in Scripture that start to happen as we gather as a church, and you go, what do we do with this? How do we process this? How do we move towards this? Do I even want to move towards this? Those things are really natural and really normal. Those are things I would absolutely encourage, those questions, a hundred percent. But when you have those questions, you have an option, and your option is you press in or you pull back. You press in or you pull back. Is your heart response to the presence of God curiosity or criticism? It's a question each of us must ask. Because the Pharisees came and they weren't interested in learning more. They weren't interested in seeing if this was a God thing or just some new trend. The Pharisees came along with a critical spirit to be cynical and to criticize with no desire of open heart to learn and ask questions. And Jesus spoke the prophecy of Isaiah over them. He said, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. It's scathing. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Here's my question this morning. When you experience the presence of God, when the atmosphere changes, when when God speaks, as we worship and sing, as we read from His Word, as we move into a time of response, when God moves, when His kingdom begins to break in, how does your heart respond? How does your heart respond? That's a question for you and God. How does your heart respond? Self-awareness is the beginning of repentance. And repentance is the key to encounter. Self-awareness is the beginning of repentance. Repentance is the beginning of encounter. Jesus said in his Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the pure in heart. Why? For they will see God. Those who have repented and stepped towards him, they will see God. This morning as we gathered to pray, Gary, our other minister, he shared a scripture when he was praying. He said, who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in that holy place in God's presence? Only those whose hearts are pure, whose hands are and lips are clean. Self-awareness is the beginning of repentance, and repentance is the key to encountering more of God's presence. How does your heart respond to God's presence?
Let me ask a second question. How does your heart respond to God's Word? So when we first got married, we being Lara and myself, not all of you and me, because that's kind of weird. Um, when we first got married, uh, we discovered that we'd each been brought up with different traditions in our family. And if you're married, cast your mind back. And you know that moment where you say to your spouse, oh, so we're going to do it like that. Do you know what I mean? Have you been there? Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and how you respond next determines the happiness you're going to experience that day. Uh, <laughs> at Chris, our first Christmas together, we discovered that each of us had been brought up with really different traditions in our family. So for my family, uh, our Christmas tradition was, okay, it's present time, one, two, three, go, and everybody dived in, and you just start tearing open presents, and inevitably you lost presents in the wrapping paper. You might have opened somebody else's by accident, but it, 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 was, it was this joy-filled free-for-all. It was amazing. And I just assumed that's the way everyone did Christmas. I just assumed that's the way we did, everyone did presents, until my first Christmas at Lara's house, where it was present time, and I had my ready-to-go and they all sat in a circle. I'm going, okay, this is different. And then I discovered what they do is they go youngest to oldest. So the youngest person gets to open a present. And then the next person opens a present. And, and you all have to go, oh, isn't that lovely? And you have to have the right response to it, which is, is a nightmare because there's only so many times you can go, I love these socks. They're great. <laughs> But we had these different traditions, and it wasn't that one was right and one was wrong. Just we had these different traditions, and we had to then change those things that we had grown up being used to to find what worked for us to move forward. And then when our kids came along, we had to change those traditions again because, you know, my son Archie's not going to sit for 20 minutes in a circle and wait for everybody else to open their presents first. It just doesn't work. We have these traditions. What we see in our text, what Jesus pushes back against the Pharisees, and what we see coming out is there's a tension between traditions and the Word of God, the Bible. And specifically what's going on in this text is in the Old Testament, in the Ten Commandments, in the law of God, what we see is one of the Ten Commandments, honor your mother and father. Yep. It's probably not an accident. My mom and dad are here today for this. So, uh, yeah, I feel the need to repent. <laughs> honor your mother and father. Absolutely. Okay. And, and that had, re- it's, it's very important, very real today, but it was even more real back then when there was no social security, there was no retirement homes with with plush landscapes around them and people to look after you. When you got old and couldn't work for yourself, the next generation had to take you into their home and care for you and love you and look after you. Honor your mother and father had very real implications 2,000 years ago. But at the same time, the Jews and these Jewish leaders particularly had developed an oral tradition, so a way of interpreting the Bible 
that was passed on from generation to generation. They called it the Mishnah. And within the Mishnah, there was a thing called Corbin, not Jeremy Corbin. We're not going down that rabbit hole. Um, but Corbin. And Corbin was a vow, a promise. And it was a vow to say, this much of my income, this amount of my possessions, I promise that to the temple and to God. Now, it sounds really honorable, doesn't it? It sounds like a really good thing to do. But here's what was happening. These religious leaders who had formed this tradition called Corbin were taking the money that they should have been using to take care of their elderly family and elderly parents and were promising it to the temple and they developed a tradition around it to say, if you give this much to the temple, you don't have to give it to look after your parents. You don't have to take care of your elderly mother and father. Pretty horrendous, yeah? Guess there's all kinds of reasons that could have happened. All kinds of reasons that could have happened. Maybe it was self-righteousness where they, they, they just wanted to be seen in the important places in the temple. They wanted praise from other people and you didn't really get that from doing the right thing with your mom and dad, but you bring a big gift to church. Oh, come sit in the front seats. Yeah, come up here, it's great. Maybe just their priorities were all wrong. And rather than being willing to devote time to this, they were devoting all of their energy, all of their function to God's house, to the church, to the temple. It's not a bad thing, but it can't be at the expense of this. And I think there's a word of of critique for our house today. And I want to ask you the question, are you getting the balance right between the amount of time you're spending here at church and the amount of time you're spending with your family? Are you getting the amount of time, the balance right between the amount of time you spend with work outside your nine to five and the amount of time your kids see you and your grandkids see you? I don't always get that right. But what I do know is I don't want to, in 20 years' time, look back and see this amazing church that had the opportunity to pastor, but kids who aren't walking with Jesus because I wasn't there. We don't know why this oral tradition had developed. But basically what had happened is they had allowed a man-made tradition that was supposed to be a helpful thing to take precedence over Scripture to become more important than the Bible. Now, I, I love tradition. I think tradition's great. But it cannot take precedent over God's Word. Tradition has to be the servant of God's Word. But here's what happens in our journey, in our experience. Our traditions are often birthed out of our experience. We do something and it feels right and we do it again and we do it again and we normalize it. And then all of a sudden we say things like, but that's the way we've always done it. Although you'd never say that, would you? Tradition is birthed out of our experience. But then something strange happens that as we go down that path, as we go down that journey, that tradition begins to limit our willingness to step into new experiences. And that's when it becomes problematic. 
We don't do it like that round here. Some churches, this is a massive problem for. Some churches have a really unhealthy attitude to tradition. Um, what? You moved the piano two inches to the left? I kid you not. I kid you not. I don't see that in this house. I'm pretty new here. I'm watching. I'm learning. I, I don't see that unhealthy attitude to tradition. I think the traditions that we have here in Orangefield are actually really healthy and really life-giving. You know, we, we, we see it this morning where our, our worship feels contemporary and fresh because there's been a tradition of seeking to have worship that is relevant to the context that we're in. That's a really healthy tradition. Another way I see it, and I want to honor those who have gone before me in this and leaders who have gone before, there's a tradition of people not holding on to power, but being willing to step back from things to lift up the next generation, that the promises we make at this baptism font we take seriously, not just in our children's ministry, but when the time comes, that we're willing to lift our young people into positions of leadership. And sometimes that means relinquishing that ourselves. I think that's a really healthy tradition. I think leaders should be all ages. Don't mishear that. But I do think there is space to lift new leaders up in. Do think that. And I see that in this house, and I've seen that in the history of this church, and I want to encourage us in that. That's really positive. My question this morning is not about traditions that we have here as a church when we gather my question this morning is about the traditions you have allowed to form over your own hearts as individuals. And I wonder, do we each, each one of us have room to grow with regard to the personal traditions that we have? I wonder, have we formed traditions over our hearts based maybe on our experience, based on our fear, or perhaps based on our own sense of inadequacy, and it's about self-preservation, and those traditions have been really well intended, but they're stopping us going deeper with God. Charles McMullen, the moderator, was here a couple of weeks ago preaching, and he said, always look to go deeper with God. Always look to go deeper with God. And as I've been praying about this, there's been a couple of things that I just want to say. And maybe this is for somebody and maybe it's not. I think we've formed, some of us have formed traditions over invitation. We, we, have, we have cultivated this practice that we come to church on a Sunday morning. And we look around, the church is pretty full. When the kids are in, the church is pretty busting, which is great. But we form this tradition that we gather on a Sunday, and, and whilst we do see that in Scripture, our calling in Scripture is to be disciples who make disciples. We're told to go into all the world and make disciples, to lead people to Jesus. And I think what we've done is we've formed a tradition around gathering when what we should do is allow Scripture to lead us into being a people of invitation. When was the last time you invited someone to come with you? on a Sunday morning to church or a Sunday night to church. We've become so comfortable in our traditional pattern of gathering on Sunday, we've lost sight of our biblical calling to be disciples who make disciples, to invite people in. 
A few weeks ago, we told you about the Just One Outreach event in C.S. Lewis Square. We give you the opportunity to think about some names you wanted to pray about and have the courage to invite. And I just want to give you the opportunity to relinquish a tradition and to step into what I see in Scripture as a, a mindset of invitation. Who are you planning to invite along? Are you planning to come here on Tuesday night to pray with other people so that we have the courage and the opportunity to invite people to come? We want to be a people of invitation. Let me do one more. Um, I think we have formed on our hearts a tradition of compartmentalization. What do I mean by that? I think we have formed in our hearts this idea that what happens in church on a Sunday is for Sunday. And we come here expecting to worship, expecting to pray, expecting to read from the Bible, expecting to respond, anticipating prayer, anticipating prayer ministry. Those things are for Sundays. And we've compartmentalized that for Sundays. In actual fact, everything we do here is about equipping you to step out there. We want you to live lives that worship, not just for 20 minutes on a Sunday morning. We want us as a church to be a people who read our Bibles, not just when we gather, but every day, recognizing that this is the Word of God. And when you take it into our lives and listen for His voice. We don't want to just create an idea that the only time you can pray with somebody or have prayer is in this corner on a Sunday morning. We want you to step out of this church equipped and ready to pray with people who need prayer. The person in the office who tells you they're going for treatment for cancer, you say, well, do you know what? We, we, we pray for people in church and we believe that God loves and that He heals. Can I pray for you right now? Everything we do here is to equip you for out there. And yet we form a tradition over our hearts of compartmentalization that keeps it and restricts it for in here. Let me share one more. We have formed, for some of us, only a few who are here this morning, we have formed for some of us this this tradition around forgiveness. Some of you are really good at coming to church, and yet you've never come to Jesus. Some of you are really good at coming to church. It's part of your tradition. It's part of your Sunday. You couldn't imagine going through a Sunday and not gathering as a church. But you've never come to Jesus. You've never asked Him to forgive you. You've never asked Him into your life. You've never given your life to Him. And you're scattered around the church. I, maybe I know some of you, maybe I don't. Some of you haven't done it because you think you don't need to. I'm a good person. God's word says, for all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. All have fallen short of his talent. Every one of us, me included, has sin in their lives and cannot come to God and cannot get to heaven by ourselves. 
And no amount of church attending is going to get you there. The only thing that will is Jesus Christ, his death on the cross, his resurrection, his blood spilled for you. He wants to forgive you this morning. Break the tradition of just coming to church this morning. Come to Jesus. And for some of you, the reason you haven't done it is not that you think you're not good enough. The reason you, you sorry, it's not that you don't think you don't need to. It's because you think you're not good enough. Well, his word says, for the wages of sin is death. You're not good enough. But the gift of God is eternal life. Even in your brokenness, even when you look in the mirror and think, how could God love me? All you have to do is look at the cross. And as you look at the cross, that is how God has loved you. He's already done it. He's paid the price for your sin. All you have to do is receive it. And the way you do it is you ask him into your life. You say, I'm sorry, I need you. Make me yours. Let's break that tradition this morning. This is my prayer. This is my prayer for all of us as a church that we will take this book, we will take God's word, we will take it into our lives, into our minds, into our hearts, and we will allow his word to shape us and form us from the inside out. And as we read these stories in the Bible, these stories about people having friendship with God, stories about being welcomed into God, stories about healing, stories about transformation, stories about forgiveness, stories about revival. I want you to ask one question. I want you to ask, where is that in my life? How do I, how do I get that in my life? How do we get this in our church? How do we get this in our city? And my prayer is that we allow Scripture to be our tradition, that we allow Scripture to be our tradition, we allow Scripture to form our expectations, and we allow this book to set the tone for our experiences. How does your heart respond to God's presence? How does your heart respond to God's Word? There are two Bible verses that are going to form our response this morning. The first one, Jesus launched his ministry with these words. He said, I've come to bind up the brokenhearted. Some of you, you haven't heard a word I've said today because your hearts are so weary with what is going on in your life or going on in your family's life at the minute. And I, I really believe that God wants to refresh you and strengthen you this morning. He wants to let you know that he has you. His hand is upon you. And if you want to talk, you want someone to pray with you this morning, just come for prayer ministry as our service closes. The other verse that I think is really relevant as we move into our response God's word says that I will take your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. For some of you, this is your invitation to come to Jesus, to have your heart transformed by his grace. And as we move into sing our next song, I want you to pray a prayer and say, Jesus, come and forgive me.
come and make my heart new. And for some of you that those words, I will take your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, is an invitation to step out of the boat and to go deeper with God. And that's scary. Remember, Peter saw him on the waves. And as scary as it was, all he could think about was being closer to Jesus. I will take your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. A heart that beats for mine, God says.